It's weird, I just kind of put the book out um, this year, and I didn't plan it around anything, but of course with yeah. the Maiden tour happening, there's been a lot of Maiden events going on. Right. I went to Croatia for the first show on the tour, and there's a lot of events there, so I did a Q&A and promoted the book, sold a load of books there. And then these guys were having their Beast Feast, they called it. Yeah. I came along for that, and right. uh, sold some more books, and so it's, it's worked out really well, you know. Yeah, how was Fit basically in. the event? Well, we briefly talked about, so it was, it mm. was pretty pretty nice. Yeah, it was great. Uh, it was really good. You know, Dennis Stratton from the first Iron Maiden album was there, and Loopy Newhouse. Do you know who he is? Which one? Loopy Newhouse, Steve. No. <clears throat> he was um, he was one of Iron Maiden's early crew. Right. Okay. So he saw like their early years. And he wrote a book called um, Loopy World, uh-huh. and it's it's great because it's it's really an inside view of early Iron Maiden going on tour in a little van and stuff like that around the UK, which is when they were playing pubs and clubs. Right. And what I like about it is it's just like it's complete honesty. There's no, he's not trying to push any angle or anything. It's just funny stories of them on the road, and he'll say when things aren't good and. Uh, And the trouble is with official biographies and official videos, you know, that you always get, oh, the band was great, and then they got yeah. even greater, and then yeah, yeah. then they got really great. <laughs> <laughs> and in Luffy World, he shows you that actually it wasn't all brilliant all the time, all right. you know? <laughs> okay. So did he, have, he has a book also out? Yeah, and his okay. one's been translated into Finnish recently. All right. Um Which I haven't done yet, but um. So yeah, he's his Loopy World is out in Finnish. I can't remember what the Finnish title of it is, but yeah. um, okay, confused me anyway. Right, but no, now your book is it's basically out. Where people can order, can they order it from somewhere? Yeah, it's it's all it's on Amazon. It's print right. to order. Okay. I mean, I I, you know, I was looking at publishing companies and stuff like that. I've done other books before on different topics, and the trouble with publishing companies is well, there's several problems. First of all, you they take the money right and secondly they decide how it comes out and yeah. where it goes and that um amazon print to order you can order it from anywhere you know and and print to order as well means it gets printed in like a country nearby so i don't think they do print to order directly in finland but you can order from amazon.de yes and it'll get printed in germany and sent and if somebody orders it in america it'll get printed in america and sent to them Huh, okay. And if you order it in Britain, it it gets printed in Britain, which means that um, you know, we're avoiding you know posting things across the world. It means that um, we're avoiding any import export tax. You know, Brexit now we've introduced taxes to stop us trading with the outside world, um, and that avoids all that by getting it directly from your local Amazon. So yeah, if anyone you know is interested, it's Go to your local Amazon, type in inside yeah. the Skunkworks machine in the book section. So is it basically in at the Amazon.de, German Amazon? Is it in the listing there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I, I guess that's the most convenient place in Finland, for example. That's what I was thinking. It's probably closest yeah. for here. Yeah. Um, the, the, a, Amazon, the, it's great in some ways. I mean, obviously Amazon's got problems in some aspects of the company that we don't like, but. Yeah. Um but because it is universal and it's around the world it means people can get the book anywhere really. Yes. It's just it's too convenient. Um yeah, and it also means it, it won't get sold out because obviously a normal mm. book they press up two thousand copies and when that's sold the publisher will think 
mm, is it worth printing up another 2,000? Yeah, maybe not. And that's why so many books are out of print. Mm. Print to order. There is no stock of this book anywhere. Uh-huh. Okay. There's, there are no copies in Amazon warehouses. It's just literally, if you buy it, they will print it for you and send it to you. Okay. So it's always basically based on the incoming orders. They print yeah. it. So yeah, is, is, yeah. It a, is it an Amazon service, that whole thing, the printing yeah. of it? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And that's it. Amazon print it and Amazon post it, which means yeah. I was quite happy to write the book, yeah. but I didn't really want to be the guy going to the post office every day with tons of packages. Yeah. True. And also dealing with, you know, complaints if it turned up a bit damaged or something. This isn't my fault. It's Amazon. Just go to them. And Amazon, of course, they're good at customer service. If um, if it turns up damaged, just order another one and they send you another right. one. Yeah. Okay. That sounds it's, pre- pretty convenient. Yeah. It's convenient is the thing. Yeah. 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 So you are basically the sole publisher or... Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. And that's it. Yeah, I own I, I own the book. I own the rights to it. Yeah. I don't have to share that with a publishing company. Yeah. And, and if, um, you know, if a, like happened with Loopy's book, if somebody wants to translate it into Finnish and release it here, then I've got the rights to um, to license it out to, to publishing companies. Okay. And Amazon don't have a problem with me doing that. And they also don't have a problem with me, like, ordering in bulk and then selling, like, at the at the gig last night. Okay. So um it's kind of it's convenient it really yeah, is. Yeah. Sounds good. Yeah. Kind of like a self-publishing um platform. It is self-publishing. Yeah, basically. And also, I mean even just like on the tiniest scale. Yeah. Because all you do is you write a book in a Word document, convert it to PDF and upload it to the Amazon website and then it's live and anyone can order it. Right. So like, you know, literally with your drums or studio or something, if you want to do, here's a guide to my studio mm. and take some photos and write a little bit about the equipment that you use, you can publish that as a book. Yeah. And right. someone might buy it and they might not. Yeah. Or even like family photos. Yeah. Here's the photos from my holiday. And just, it's a book as soon as you upload it to Amazon. <laughs> yeah. So is it basically also the the layout and everything? That's, I guess, you need to basically create first. Yeah. And then, then based on that, they then print it absolutely yeah yeah so they don't change anything in it right i i did all the layout for that i put the photos in and chose exactly where they wanted to be and exactly the spacing for everything so all the mistakes are mine um and they don't change any of it as as you upload it and they they do check it they spend like 24 48 hours just checking the book is in the right Right. format and stuff i did get a guy to do the cover artwork um a guy called chris knapman who's really good with artwork that's not my specialist subject yeah. um i got a guy to proofread it for me to just check that right i didn't spell yeah. everything wrong um but apart from that yeah i put the whole thing yeah. together that's very nice yeah it's a big it looks like a big bunch of information well that's it it's because i thought I'm only going to do this book once. There's not going to be like a volume two with yeah. stories that aren't quite as good and some of the out-of-focus mm. photos. I'm going to put all the cool photos and all the stories yeah. in one book. Right. And yeah, it's ended up as like 375 pages. Yeah. But it's, I think it's a good book, you know? Yeah. And I'm a, I'm a music fan, you know, as we were talking in the car. We, and I was thinking, what would I want to see yeah. in a book? And I want to hear all the funny stories backstage, but I also want to hear how they recorded the album mm. and what the techniques that were going on and the producer's input and Jack and Dino, the producer, had an input into the book and so did our drummer, Alex Elena. 
and loads of fans coming in with their views and fans reviewing gigs and there's people saying, oh, I was at Sevastia in 94. And I'd write to them and go, okay, write me a quick review of it. Yeah. And so we got fan reviews through the book okay. and, and then people sending in scans of their ticket stubs and posters and and I've got all my backstage passes scanned in there. Right. Um, and we've obviously got the full Sarajevo story. Yeah. And just absolutely everything. So it's ended up as quite a big book, but that's what I think people want. Yeah, I think especially like if you are, for example, me, when I was reading the Bruce's autobiography Ooh. book, I'm more interested in the exactly like, you know, the Bruce's solo career. Of course, I'm a little bit interested in Iron Maiden stuff as well, mm. but I'm particularly interested how, for example, these certain albums may have made things yeah, we are yeah. talking likely today here as well. So absolutely, so that's basically that's the way. It <laughs> It's all there, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Did it have any like a like a starting fee or something, or is there? No, it's like literally upload it and go. Okay, and then royalties come in. Right. There is no, and that's the other thing with publishing companies. They sometimes give you an advance for the book, and then yeah. when the book starts making profit, then yeah. you can get a royalty. And this is just royalties from day one. So if you write a book and you only sell one copy, you still get royalties for that one yeah. copy. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> it's just like such an easy and convenient. Yeah, sounds system. really good. Yeah. Cool. Um, and yeah, I just have had a problem with. Publishing companies and also record mm. companies in general, you know, yeah. from my experiences in several bands over the years where, uh, I mean, Bruce's Skunkworks album has been re-released a couple of times and, you know, they came out with a double vinyl recently and stuff like that. Right. That's all great. But other bands I've been in, once your album has sold a fair few, it's no longer available. Yeah. And the yeah. only way people can get that album then is secondhand on eBay for twice the price, you know? Yeah. And that doesn't happen with this. It's yeah. always there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, looks looking forward to diving into that one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think you'll find a lot in there. Yeah, I bet I believe so. <laughs> yeah. So basically, uh when Bost Picasso, the album, mm. Bruce Solo album, Bost Picasso, when it was uh, recorded, it was recorded by the tribe of gypsies yeah. people. But then you guys then with the skunk works ended up touring with it. Mm. So how did that end up to be in that way? Well, um, so Bruce recorded Bulls Picasso in Los Angeles with Roy Z and his Tribe of Gypsies, as you say. Tribe of Gypsies at the time had just got themselves a record deal. Uh-huh. Um, and so they obviously wanted to go and promote their own band. All right. Rather than go on tour with Bruce. Okay. Bruce needed to tour, so he needed a touring band. And um, and he got Alex Dixon, who's an amazing guitarist, uh, amazing musician, songwriter all around. And he lived around the corner from Bruce, and they knew each other anyway. Uh-huh. Alex's old band Gun had opened for Maiden a couple of times, and so they knew each other. So that was an instant, yeah, we'd get him in. And then Bruce said in a Kerrang interview um, that he was looking for a bass player and drummer. And I saw that, I was like, right? Yeah, you know, I was working with a great drummer at the time, Alex Elena, and so we just had our little demo tape. It was, you know. Back for now, obviously, you know, you'd send him a YouTube link, but back then it was a little cassette and we put it in the post. Yeah, yeah. A photo, the proper old school way in a CV with a name and address and telephone number. And uh, sent it off to Sanctuary Management. And we heard back a couple of weeks later and they said, come on in for a meeting. And so we were called into a meeting with Rod Smallwood. And that was kind of like, like in at the deep end straight away because obviously... Yeah. Oh my God, it's Rod Smallwood, shit. 
<laughs> it's kind of daunting, you know. Yeah. And we went into this boardroom meeting with him, and he was absolutely lovely, and he explained how the project was going to go, and that they wanted to do a whole load of touring for this new album. And me and my drummer mate Alex were like, wow, this sounds great. Yeah, I love yeah. it. And um, we got called in for an audition then. Um, they gave us the Balls to Picasso album on cassette. It hadn't been released at the time. Okay. So it was our first time hearing it. Um, actually, he put it on in the Sanctuary boardroom and he just put it on stupidly loud on these big speakers and then left the room and me and the drummer are sat there, this Cyclops blaring at us. Yeah. And like, Let's turn it down a little bit and have a proper listen. And then we took the cassette home. They told us to learn four songs. So we just learned the whole album because we thought that's probably the best yeah. thing to do. And we went into a rehearsal studio, a small rehearsal studio in West London with Bruce Dickinson. And that was quite funny, you know, the first time meeting him there. Um, and, and he just seemed like a perfectly normal guy. He, just, he was just a singer in the band. I remember he helped me carry my bass amp into the studio. Oh, fair. <laughs> yeah, I had these big Ampeg calves and I was struggling to get it through the doorway. And he was like, oh, let me give you a hand there. I was just thinking... I didn't think rock star lead singers generally yeah. helped carry Ampeg cabs. I think that might have been the only time he tried, but <laughs> <laughs> he learned his lesson. They're yeah. pretty heavy. But the fact that he was doing things like that, and he was just totally relaxed and normal guy yeah. and enthusiastic, and we told him we'd learned the whole album. He was like, oh, great, yeah, let's, let's try this one, let's try this one. And we just ran through a bunch of the songs yeah. with him and Alex Dixon. That's the first time we met them both. All right. And at the end of it, he, he was getting really casual so let's go for a drink so we just went out for a drink and he chatted about you know what what his plans were and um again all seemed casual then he dropped me off home yeah. and uh called up a couple of weeks later saying um can you learn some cover versions because he wanted us to be able to jam around a little bit so we did some deep purple and some acdc with him and stuff and i remember being in the studio that second time, was like playing ACDC Sin City with Bruce Dickinson singing. I'm yeah. thinking, you know, when I was a kid, some of the first records I owned were, were ACDC and Iron Maiden, and here I am in a studio playing ACDC with the singer of Iron Maiden. And I just thought, even if I don't get the job, even if it doesn't happen, that's just the funniest thing ever to have done, yeah. you know? And, and it was just all like that from the start, just nice and relaxed. And, and then he said at the end of the second audition, yeah, you've got the job, that's cool. All right. What he actually said was, um, he said, so I'm happy being in a band with you guys if you're happy being in a band with me. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I think we're quite happy being in a band with Bruce Dickinson. You right. Know? Right. <laughs> he's, he's a pretty good singer. Right. The, he's passed our audition, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like <But> yeah. him. <laughs> <laughs> so then we were just, then we got given the tour dates and we were off to America and right. it all went crazy for a while. Yeah. So did you happen to basically living in the same area? Yeah, that was another thing he was quite keen on. Um, he was living in West London, and he wanted people based in West London, basically. Right. <clears throat> and I think some of the other people that had maybe applied for the job were living in the north of England and stuff. And nothing against that, but what he wanted was someone that could be around all the time, because it was mm. a full-time band. And so if if you had someone who lived a few hours away then it would be problematic with, you know, we've got a rehearsal next week. Can you drive down? We'll get you a hotel. He didn't want all that. He just wants, right, come down to the studio tomorrow. Let's go for a beer tonight. Yeah, yeah. And also then we're flying from the same airport together and it's all nice and convenient. And I was in West London. I was in Hounslow. He was in Chiswick. Alex Dixon was also in Chiswick. And we're all within a couple of miles of each other, you know. Um, 
so that was um yeah that was one of the things he wanted he wanted it to be kind of a friendly band you right know? yeah a little bit of change i guess well from at least from iron maiden way of working possible <clears throat> well it's true i mean i suppose iron maiden in their early days they would all have been well, true. east london yeah But then, obviously, gradually, as yeah. they make money and start buying properties mm. abroad, and well, if you got the chance to live in Florida, why yeah. not? You know. Yeah, yeah. So I guess with Maiden these days, yeah, it must be like that. I mean, I don't know the insides mm. of Maiden, but yeah, they they have to fly in for rehearsals, yeah. don't they? Right, right, yeah. So basically, then, uh, how quick did did you go on the tour then? Well, there was a little pause. I think the auditions were about. Um, this is in 1994. I think the auditions were in about May. Actually, this is the fun part of the book. <clears throat> so I went through my old diaries, and you get to the end of the book. The camera's there, yeah. and I've got literally day by day everything right, that okay. happened. Right. So you say, how long a wait was there? Right. Well, I'll look it up exactly. Right. So um, the first audition was on April the 26th, 1994. The second audition was May the 10th, 1994. <laughs> the rehearsals started, I've got all the rehearsal dates, uh, on August the 1st. And the first show was September the 1st in Springfield, Missouri. All right. When I when I told Bruce I was I was going to do this yeah. book, I told him that, oh yeah, I went through all my old diaries and wrote out the whole timescale for those whole two years, day by day, with every rehearsal, every recording thing. Bruce just looked at me like I was mad. I don't have that shit. How, how, why have you got all that? Yeah. And actually, when I was doing it at the time, I mean, I just happened to keep a bit of a diary, and we were taking photos because it was fun. Yeah. And yeah, you collect your backstage passes. I'm sure you do. I see you've got your drum skin on the yeah. wall and stuff. You collect things, don't you? Yeah. yeah. And so I wasn't collecting with the idea of making a book, but of course, when I started making the book, I've got everything here. Yeah. And then fans were asking on the Facebook group, the Skunkworks Facebook group that I started, they were saying things like, one of them said, uh, I remember he said, <coughs> um, when was the first time that you played um, Iron Maiden The Prisoner? Because we played that in the set list once. And I went, oh, hang on, I'll look at it. <laughs> and I came back with, yeah, that was April the 22nd, 1995. Like, All right. <laughs> I, w- I was really meaning roughly what tour yeah. you did it on. I'm like, oh, sorry, but literally the book has got everything yeah. you want to know. <laughs> Right. Yeah. What was basically the first tour? Was it with Halloween? No, no. The first tour actually was in America. Right. And the headliner was Jackal. Do you remember them? Jackal. Jackal. They um they had a beautiful song called She Loves My Cock. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> they were honestly absolutely insane. There were some guys from Tennessee. They had They had a few hits in America. They did pretty well over there. I think they toured Europe a couple of times, but America was definitely their thing. They were playing with um, chainsaws on stage. All right. right. The singer's got long hair like you. Now imagine ch- waving a chainsaw around without tying yeah. your hair. Yeah. <laughs> And also they were going on stage with, um, he went on stage with a shotgun. Which okay. we all thought was funny, you know. Yeah. Um, but we assumed that it probably wasn't loaded or maybe blanks. And one day he shot a hole in the roof What of the, the venue. Hell? Police were called in. They they had Bucking Bronco on stage, you know, like those kind of animated robotic cows. Okay. And you get on top and you play rodeo. All right. And they'd get topless girls out of the audience. Yeah. To get on the Bucking Bronco, okay. it was a crazy show. Yeah. It was an absolute insane party, <laughs> and the whole tour was like that yeah. as well. It was yeah. absolute madness. Right. 
And there was so yeah, there was Jackal headlining, and then us second on the bill, all a bit confused by what the shit is going on with these crazy Americans, you know. And then third on the bill was Richie Cotson, right? Who obviously, at the time, he just left Poison, and okay. later obviously he's gone on to Mr. Big Winery Dogs and um, Adrian Smith recently, right? Right, yeah. Um, but yeah, it was it was such an odd bill, yeah. Um, but I think as well, being 1994, I think what we saw was like the very last of the, you know, the Motley Crue rat era mm. of crazy touring with groupies and backstage parties yeah. and stupid drugs that people shouldn't be doing yeah. and Jack Daniels everywhere. And <laughs> yeah. and that was our first experience touring with Bruce. We're just thrown in at the deep end of that. Going, yeah. Oh, shit. <laughs> that was good to do when you were young still. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was a good party time. And then after that, we did um, we did a full European tour headlining mm. for the Balls Picasso album. Mm. We did UK tour. We, then we recorded a live album at the Marquee. Yeah. Um, and well, then this, this is called the live in Studio A. Yeah. All right. A live in Studio A. It was a bit of an odd idea. We um, like I say we recorded the live show at the Marquee. Mm. And then a couple of days later, we went into Metropolis Studios. And we went into Studio A, Studio A, B, and C. So that's why it's called Alive in yeah. Studio A. Um, and recorded the set again, but right. kind of like you know, just in a studio. It was a bit weird, but um, and then that was released as a double CD. Yeah. Um. Then after that, we did the Sarajevo show. Right. Which obviously, have you seen Screen for Me Sarajevo? Yeah, I went to see it in the in the movie theater in right, yeah, in Helsinki. Yeah, yeah so it was pretty cool. Yeah, that was pretty heavy. Um, yeah. I'm so glad we made that film. I think yeah. you know it's um, documented it really well. Yeah, um, I would recommend that really above anything else I've ever done. You know, yeah. If you want to buy the book, that's great. If you want to buy the Skunkworks album, that's great. But really, get Screen for Me Sarajevo. That's yeah, I don't know. Is, is it basically? Can you can people watch it somewhere still? Yeah, yeah, it's live streaming. You can Where, get, do you know some place where it could be watched. Yeah, the place to go is uh, Screen for Me Sarajevo. Okay, from the website. Yeah, Screen for Me Sarajevo dot com has got the links to streaming, and you can buy DVD. It's still on Amazon. Yeah, yeah. it was pretty like uh, when I was watching it. Uh, I think it was you had that geek there in the yeah in the in the venue, and uh, I think it was the Son of a Gun song, maybe which you played there. I think that. It was funny. We only had a small bit of footage from the actual concert. I think it was Gods of War that we've got footage of from the concert. All right, actually, yes, it was Gods of War. That was the song. Yeah. When I was watching it, I was crying. In the, when watching it in the, in the I cry theater. every time I watch it. Yeah. That was super emotional, and super awesome performance. That one. Yeah. yeah. So again, you know, I mean, going doing a gig in the middle of the Bosnian yeah. War. This was pretty crazy. Yes. And so this whole touring experience, you know, from Jackals. <laughs> crazy party antics yeah. to uh, a gig in the middle yeah, of the Bosnian right. War. With different settings. Yeah, you know, we weren't expecting it to be quite this crazy. We knew mm. that joining a band with Bruce Dickinson yeah. was going to be fun and we were going to tour the world. Right. But we didn't know quite what he was in for. And I think one of the things, you know, I said earlier, we went out for a drink after the first audition. Mm. And he did say there, and I should have known, he said... He said that Maiden had become because they're so massive, yeah, and they got this big stage set, and they're known for all that. It was kind of impossible to do small gigs. Mm. They had to tour with several trucks, 
And he said, I want a band that can do the big shows, but can also play anywhere. Mm. And I thought, oh, that sounds good. Yeah, I want to play anywhere. I didn't think anywhere meant inside an yeah. active war zone. True. That was, uh, so that was a bit of a shock. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, it was a, a quick growing up experience. Yeah. That's, that's real life for yeah. you. That's, uh, yeah. A little bit reality. What's yeah. Up, what can be Total, happening yeah. and what is happening in the world. Absolutely, and it's what's happening in Ukraine, yeah. you know. So when I watch the news in Ukraine, I, I know totally what's going mm. on. It's absolute, absolute horror. Yeah. What we're seeing on the news is the tip of the iceberg, yeah. I'm sure of it. Yeah, yeah. They're going to be digging up mass graves for years to come, mm. I promise you. Yeah, Yeah. there's some really cool stuff from the, from the, I think, from the European leg on YouTube. For example, the Cyclops live. There's at least footage from Tavastia Helsinki. Yeah, that's great. But that, I think that was the one, or was that basically when you were when Halloween was? Were you supporting Halloween? There? No, that was okay. uh, that was yeah. That Tavastia show was headlining. All right. on the Bulls Picasso tour. Yeah, and it's quite funny because of course we didn't officially film any of the shows on that tour. Yeah, but someone filmed it yeah, yeah, really fan, clearly fan, fan filmed, yeah. from balcony yeah. with a great view of the yeah. whole stage, and I'm so glad they did. Yeah. If who, if whoever filmed it is listening, please accept my thanks that you saved yeah. the day because otherwise we would have had no footage because back then people didn't film on their phones you know everything gets filmed now yeah. but back then mm. it was a rarity and that's great quality yeah. and i think there's also cool stuff i just watched it uh, <coughs> more recently and i earlier as well posted some clip from milan of the particular cyclops yeah like a live thing that's like a super goosebumps material there oh, cool. I, i will put the link to the to the description of it for yeah, people do, to check yeah. it out it's, it's super like a cool That's footage. Yeah. Really, yeah. really dig that, dig that song. <coughs> and the performance there is somehow super energetic and cool. Yeah. And again, Bruce was like, you know, as, as a, as a boss and as a musical leader, he was so relaxed about the whole thing. He, well, he didn't want everything done note for note, the same as balls to Picasso. He was just like, make it your own thing. You know, he's a big deep purple fan and deep mm. purple is all about jamming. And that's where he was coming from. So he wasn't like, learn everything exactly yeah. the same. I want yeah. it. He was just like, yeah, do what you want with it. Mess around. Yeah. And we'd mess around with it. Yeah. It was it had cool intro or something. fine with it, yeah. How you did it. it yeah, cool. yeah. And it was kind of weird, I thought, starting with a slow song. But, but that was brilliant. It For me, like, like, that's super cool. Mm. And then we'd come out, and of course, it would just be the three of us at first. And then when yeah. Bruce, Bruce came yes. out, it'd be a massive scream. It, it worked, worked great. Yeah, and like I could see from this, those footages of uh, the I don't know is the term animus, animosity of Bruce there. You know, like you could see that he was really like you know believing in what what you guys were doing there. Absolutely, you can yeah, really yeah. sense it from the energy of that footage. Yeah, super cool stuff. Yeah, he was totally up for it. I think for him it was. Basically, he'd got bored of Iron Maiden, mm. and so for him it was like something exciting to do, playing smaller venues with a different band and and jamming and messing around. He'd have us playing blues and stuff in the yeah. middle of the show and bringing up random cover versions midway through a gig and yeah. just messing around with the set as much as possible, you know. Yeah, which is something that Maiden Could really enjoy, can't yeah. And, yeah. can't and don't do, you yeah. know. And so I think for him it was like having a break, mm. and actually I think. Looking back on that whole period, I think, you know, it. I know the fans didn't really get it sometimes when we played smaller venues, but 
looking back, you know, the fans got to hear some really different music from Bruce. Mm. Like, you know, from Chemical Wedding to Accent of Birth or Skunk Works or Balls of Picasso's. You're getting a very different vibe mm. from the guy than what you got in Maiden. You also got to hear Maiden do different stuff with Blaze. And you got to see both bands in smaller venues, which yeah. is always cool. Yeah. And then when they came back as Maiden and they reformed for Brave New World, they suddenly had loads more energy. Yeah. So I think they, mm. they actually needed that break. Mm. You know, we all need a holiday. And for them, it was like a, a three, four year holiday of like, yeah. right, I've, I've had enough of you. And I'm sure they'd all had enough of each other, you know, yeah. like, right, let's have a break. And they didn't plan it like that. But then, of, of course, after a while, they probably thought, you know what? It was kind of cool playing big venues with Maiden and being quite successful. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and yeah, Steve's <laughs> not so bad. You know? <laughs> yeah. Kind of like, you know, getting back with an ex-girlfriend and going, yeah, you know what, we did have good times together, <laughs> didn't we? <laughs> and now, of course, Maiden have gone on to more success than they ever had before. Mm. And I don't know if that would have happened if Bruce had stayed in the mm. band all the way through, because it wouldn't have been exciting. Mm. And the way they are now, I went to see them in Croatia and in Paris, stronger than ever. Yeah. And considering, like, I mean, they're all 10 years older than me or something. They're mm. in their 60s and stuff and rocking out. Amazing energy. Yeah. 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 There's also some footage in the, which I saw even posted by some Finnish uh, music magazines online. There's some, uh, I think it's from the poster because so, some promo tour where there's Alex Dixon and Bruce doing some like uh, acoustic stuff in Kaisenim, like next to your hotel where you were staying. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Was that basically on that on the tour, or was it a separate promo tour, that one? That was around the time that me and the drummer were auditioning. Okay. Uh, when me and Alex were auditioning, Bruce and Alex Dixon, obviously it's confusing having two people called Alex. Yeah. In But yeah, Bruce and Alex Dixon were doing acoustic shows around the world yes. just to promote the record yeah. and sign some records and get the whole thing started. Mm. Um, so yeah, they did they did something in Finland. They did they did a few dotted around Europe. Yeah. But they went to America as well and right. a bit of Asia. I'm not sure exactly where they went, but um, yeah, there was there was that going yeah. on. There's some really cool footage of that. Which so. again, you know. Maiden wouldn't do an acoustic two-man show yeah, of in yeah. a local record right. shop to promote the mm. new album. Yeah, And that, again, was great for yeah. fans. They get to really see him close up there. Yes. It's, it's cool footage. I will link that as well here. Mm. Like, yeah, super, do, do. Super cool stuff. So how was basically then the... How was your group then called the Skunk Works? That was... um, Well, Bruce... You know, we all got on great, and and musically it was sounding good. We thought, and Bruce wanted to make it um, a band name, yeah. and he chose the name Skunk Works because he's into aeroplanes, and it's um, it's the name of a U.S. base where they try out experimental planes, oh, okay. like Lockheed Blackbird and stuff like that was designed there. Um, so that's that's his thing, you know, stealth bombers and stuff like that. So the, he called it Skunk Works, but. It really was, you know, him calling it Skunk Works because essentially, you know, he's the one selling the tickets. Mm. It's his name on the posters, you know, really. It's not a band. 
it's mm. his band, you mm. know, which is absolutely fine by us. And we didn't really actually want it to be a band mm. in that kind of completely equal democracy because mm. it was unrealistic, you know, mm. and it would make no sense for him anyway. You know, he's been in this industry 10 years and been quite successful. Yeah. It would be kind of odd if I had the same you know, vote in the band as mm. he did, you know, um, and it was his career. And um, so... Yeah, we were called Skunk Works as a band name, but basically it was still obviously mm. the Bruce Dickinson band underneath. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, then there came the uh, Back from the Edge, did the music video. Mm. It's a cool song, and I guess in the video, Bruce is in some kind of like a aquarium or. How did that video shooting go? Yeah, that was. Um, so what happened was, Bruce was directing the video himself. Oh, okay, and. We also filmed both videos, Inertia and Back from the Edge, at the same time. And we'd Bruce had found with this um, director, Jeremy Aziz, um, they'd found a location in, in Battersea in London where it was... I'm not sure the original purpose of this place, but it was like one house building. It was quite a big place with a swimming pool in one room. But it was kind of semi-derelict. It wasn't being used for anything, this building, I couldn't work out. And all sorts of other odd rooms and odd-shaped places. Um, so the whole, both videos were shot in the same building, but just in different rooms. Mm. And it looks like different locations mm. all over the place, you know. In Inertia, you've got a complete white background. Um, that was already there. And then back from the edge, we're in a dark room with a strobe light. That was a different room in the same building. Right. And the swimming pool was in the same building. Yeah. And then we filmed a little bit in the garden of the building. So both videos were done in the same yeah, building yeah. in two days. Mm. So it was a bit of a hurry. Um, but yeah, there was this swimming pool and Bruce had this idea to sing underwater. So yeah, in Back From The Edge, you see him, um, he's got his coat on and he's underwater. It's freezing cold. Okay. <laughs> <clears throat> and um, and he's miming and singing the words along. Yeah. And and it genuinely is one take. You okay. can watch it closely. There's there's no edit. You couldn't there. take more takes. So cold. No, but just um, if you watch it next time, or anyone listening, watch that video, and just try holding your breath for the amount of time that he does it. <laughs> Bearing in mind he's underwater, freezing cold, trying to swim and trying to mime the lyrics, yeah. and you just yeah. sit calmly in a seat and hold your breath and see if you've got the same lung capacity as right. him. I was pretty impressed. <laughs> I couldn't do it. <laughs> Impressive performance. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Then there's the album cover. Is it some famous location where it was taken? Or just some like, I guess it's a mirrored. Yeah, like it's a mir of... mirrored image. It was Storm Ferguson was the legendary artist, right. art designer. You know, he did Pink Floyd and Led Zeppelin. Okay, he's that and guy, stuff. yeah. And Scorpions, and he's done some amazing yeah. album covers. And him and Bruce had this idea for, yeah, a lake with two trees and two men, but mirror-imaged. Um, and I don't know if you noticed, but if you get the the vinyl version and then the re-released vinyl or the CD and the single covers, they're all actually slightly different photos. Oh, okay. Um, and I've never seen this done before where you, you know... Number of the Beast has one cover. It doesn't mm. have several different covers, yeah. but Skunk Works does have different covers. All right. Um, and it was all this guy, Storm and Bruce's idea to have this image. And they 
sent some photographers up to Scotland to just find a lake that looks nice and take some photos. So they did that and then it came back and Storm pieced it all together. I must admit, I was a little bit confused by it. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Okay, so two guys standing next to a lake and that depicts... Yeah. What exactly? And how does that relate to Skunk Works, the yeah. the aircraft factory? And actually, how does that Skunk Works, the aircraft factory, and the lake relate to anything in the songs? Yeah. And I think that was one of the problems of that whole project was just confusion. Okay. And I I'm not sure if it was intended to be mysterious, but I yeah, think yeah, I guess it's just like you know, getting along the way, kind of improvising a little bit. Like this seems like cool. Let's add this. Yeah, and then let's have a bit of this, and then mm. let's put a, a squirrel in there, yeah. or you know. Or, <laughs> and I think you know, looking at, um, I think "Fear of the Dark" is a great example, right? Mm. That front cover of the "Fear of the Dark" album shows Eddie being quite creepy in the dark. Yeah, and the song "Fear of the Dark" mm. has the lyric "Fear yeah. of the Dark" right. quite a lot of times over. Yeah, and the lyrics are about being scared of the dark, and also. All of us at some point in our childhood have been scared of the dark, mm. had nightmares in our bedroom yeah. or whatever, so we can relate to it. Yeah. And so the whole package fits together to mm. give you a really clear image of what's going on. Yeah. And Skunk Works was the total opposite, yeah. where there's just no theme. Some of the songs are a bit heavy, some of them are quite light. Oh. I think most of them are pretty good, but there wasn't cohesion. Maybe that's why Skunk Works was fitting name for it. It's a little bit like, I don't know, skunks, those animals. Well, a little bit like again, they, they con- do weird, weird confusion. Stuff. <laughs> yeah, because that's it. Fans were thinking, what, "What's what's this about? What's the title? Does it mean skunk the animal or skunk?" Yeah. The... Um, <clears throat> I'm not sure. Yeah. You know, I was in the band and yeah. I don't know what was going yeah. on. So if I didn't know what was going on, the fans had no clue yeah. at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's skunk works. It is. It is. <laughs> I mean, it was an experimental period. That's really what was going yeah. on. You know, Bruce was wanting to experiment with music and images and try his own thing. And yeah. you know, in, and even directing the video himself, that mm. wouldn't have happened in Maiden. I don't think they'd have let him direct a video. Right. I might be wrong there, but um, you know, so he got to try out doing all the things he wanted to do. Yeah. He wants to jam Deep Purple covers in the middle of a gig. Yeah, sure, mm. mate. Yeah. You want to put a lake on the album cover? Go for it. <laughs> but I'm just imagining some rock fan goes into the local record shop and he's heard there's a new album out by Bruce Dickinson and there's this picture of a lake. Is, is that what we're getting? Okay. Yeah. Whereas, you know, Maiden fans want to see Eddie or mm. some yeah. demon or devil or scary monster. And okay, we don't have to copy Maiden, yeah. but... I don't know. I mean, looking back, it's easy to say where things went wrong. Yeah. But at the time, it all seemed fine, and we just went along with anything that was happening, really. Yeah, and but of course, then again, I think I guess the style was a little bit something a bit different on purpose as well. Like you mm. know, from from it was a bit like a differing, a little bit I guess alternative edge, somewhat in the alternative in the was the word. Yeah, yeah, that was exactly it. Right. It was just doing something different. Yeah, that's all Bruce wanted to do. He didn't come into the thing with an idea of like we need to sound like this i want us to go in the led zeppelin vibe or i want us to Mm. be modern he just said let's do something different right and so alex dixon the guitarist as i said earlier is a great songwriter he just wrote loads of different songs yeah and said do you like this one do you like this one do you like this one bruce loved them all yeah um so we basically did like 
I, I think the album ended up with like the first 12 songs that Alex demoed. But Alex actually demoed about 20 or 30 songs. He doesn't mm. stop writing. He's a prolific writer. Um, and we went into rehearsal studio. One of the great things about Bruce's band was we were given so much rehearsal time, mm. which I think is a luxury that most bands can't afford. You know, you can't afford to go to a rehearsal studio six, seven days a week and have it block booked out from morning till night. Mm. And we could. Yeah. So we did. And so we went through these songs, the rough ideas that Alex came up with, and we just played them backwards and forwards over and over again. Bruce had come in, try some lyrics, didn't quite work, write something else the next day. I'd be trying to get the bass line to fit better and lock in with the drums more and mm. and just really work on the whole thing before going in the studio. Mm. And, of course, these days it's entirely different. I mean, obviously... I'll see your recording setup. You can record at home. You can do as many takes as you want. Mm. And of course, it's not like that back in the day. Mm. We really had to do yeah. the homework in the in the rehearsals. Yeah. And then when we go into the studio, we totally know what we're going to record. Right. And yeah. yeah, it's going to be something just different from what Maiden are doing. Mm. Yeah. Which which studio was it, and how was it recorded? Was it? I guess of course it was analog studio. But, yeah. But did you do it like uh, then like? Uh, Live takes like bass and drums first, and how was the process? Yeah, well, actually, we did often just guitar and drums, or okay. guitar, bass, and drums. So the three of us would be playing, or sometimes just Alex and Alex would be playing, um, and record the drums, and then I'd go in and play the bass the next morning. Um, but it was in a residential studio, and again, this costs a lot of money. It was in like a manor house. It was Linford Manor, right. just north of London. And it was residential, so we lived there, or certainly three of us lived there, me, Alex, and Alex, and Jack, the producer. And we had a, a cook come in and cook for us, and we had a pool table, a room with a snooker room, and, and like, it was amazing, just yeah. complete luxury, you know. Yeah. And Bruce had come in and out. <clears throat> he stayed there a few times more and more when he was doing his vocals, but he'd be in and out because he's busy doing press and flying planes and everything. Um, but the fact that we had that luxury of just totally living the record you know so you get up first thing in the morning and mm. go down barely dressed and have your breakfast and just start rocking out and playing right. a few songs yeah. and then have a break for lunch and then get back in and do a bit more and then in the evening hang around together talking about music listening to what we've done how it could be improved and then start laying down the guitars on top and And again, that was such luxury that we could live our whole lives like that. Because right mm. now, you know, my life's a bit different. I've got a kid and I'm not going to spend six weeks in a studio morning till night. But that's what we did back then. Mm. Yeah, kind of like a little bit like lifestyle living in the studio. Absolutely. And we did that the whole the whole couple of years. We were just, Alex and Alex lived, um, they shared a place together. And I lived just over the road from them and Bruce was just around the corner. So we were all within touch all the time. Yeah. And... In my back garden, I had a soundproof studio. Right. And so we could be jamming in there. And when we weren't jamming in there, we'd book a proper studio with Bruce and then he could come down and sing. And um, So it was just constant all the time. Yeah, really living being in a mm. band. Yeah. And and there was kind of nothing else going on in our lives at the time. We didn't have families and um, external hobbies didn't exist. This is just what we did all mm. day, every day. Yeah. It's a really intense period, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So did you say a soundproof studio at your backyard, or mm. like a was it some like a warehouse or? No, it was a 
it was uh, me and a friend of mine were looking for somewhere to rent. Right. And we just went to an estate agent and showed us around some flats. And there's this woman showing us around a flat. And the, the living room is okay and there's two bedrooms. Yeah, that looks good. Kitchen's okay. And she said to us, this woman, this estate agent, she didn't know what she was showing us. You You would spot it straight away. She said, there's a bit of a strange shed in the back. And we went, really? Let's have a look. And there was this concrete shed, okay. a couple of windows, and it was split into two rooms. One room was quite narrow and was smaller than the other room. There was quite a lot of PowerPoints along the wall. And we also noticed as soon as we went in, there's two doors on the way in. And when you open one, it goes, yeah. and the other one goes, someone soundproofed this. Nice. And the walls are all carpeted. <laughs> The first thing we do when we go in there, me, me and my mate, my mate was a bass player as well. First thing we do was like, yeah, okay, we'll take this. Yeah. And the estate agent's going, oh, it's a weird place, this. I wonder why they put all the PowerPoints there. And go, Don't you worry about that. We'll take it. Here's the deposit. <laughs> so nice. we rented ourselves a place that already had a rehearsal yeah. studio set up in the back garden. Or actually, it was set up for recording. You could have put a desk in the other room, but yeah. we didn't have a desk at the time. Yeah. So that was great because literally it, it was properly soundproofed, yeah. like I say, with the double doors and double mm. glazed windows. Exactly. So we were in there till two or three in the morning sometimes playing yeah. around. We've got neighbours, but no one can hear it. Yeah, yeah. nice. Yeah, it was, that was, again, such a luxury mm. to be able to play. And like I say, when we weren't in there, we were in proper rehearsals or we were out on tour. And actually we were finding, the three of us especially, were finding on tour was, bit, was frustrating because we couldn't play all day. Mm. We weren't playing enough on tour right? because we could only do our sound check for an hour and then we get the show for an hour and a half. Yeah. And then your guitars are taken away from you by the crew and they're loaded into flight cases and put in a truck. Mm. And then you have a day off in a hotel and we're like, can we break into the truck and get the guitars out? I yeah. want to set up and want to get playing because we were just addicted to playing all yeah, day yeah. and all night. Yeah. You know? And it was just that, that time of life. That that's what we were all about. Yeah. But that would be, of course, like a, that's how you... What is a little bit problem in my situation at the moment that I kind of like, a, you know, our rehearsal space is further away and it always travels there. And with yeah. the drums, it's yeah. like a, it would be nice to be able to play constantly. Absolutely. So that's how you are able to, it becomes then a second nature of the playing. Absolutely. And then the band becomes really good. Mm. And then um, it's just not the same when you just play with someone else and obviously I've, we've all been in situations where you come in you do one quick rehearsal with a band and then you mm. play the show that mm. night or sometimes you just get sent some songs and told learn this there's a show tonight and mm. you just do it and you somehow do it and you get away with it because mm. you're okay yeah. at playing and, and it's all quite fun yeah. but it's never going to be as tight as what the Skunk Works band mm. was Right. I put yeah. some stuff I put quite a lot on my YouTube channel with some rehearsals okay. of us playing oh There's some, there's all the demos that Alex Dixon did, right. and there's also some of us jamming. The jamming songs are under the name Pastor Power Trio, uh -huh. and if you look up Pastor Power Trio, we're doing ridiculous things. Like we start in one of them, we start playing the Trooper, and then suddenly halfway through, it goes into a kind of reggae version of the Trooper, and then it goes into some jazz section, and then we're off into a Deep Purple song somewhere. And this is what we were doing in our spare time, just mm. really messing around with music and, right. and totally taking it to the edge of our abilities. Yeah. Again, because we had the time and mm. and 
And I'm sure you find now, like you're saying about your rehearsal space, I'm sure there's a day when you're going to rehearse, but then oh, the guitarist can't make it because his boss said he's got to go and work on Sunday and the bass player can't be there because his wife's got to take her mum to hospital. And That's real life and it gets yeah. in the way of all of us, you know. Yeah. But back then we were lucky enough that there was no real life distracting yeah. us at all. Right, right. Is it on video, the stuff, or audio stuff? Just audio. All right. Yeah. Okay. Do, you have any, do you have any video footage of the you know the recording sessions of the no skunk works no right. again everyone's got it on their phone these days it's so yeah, easy yeah. but back then you would need to have a vhs guy in yeah the, in the <laughs> and it would be this big chunky camera on your shoulder wouldn't yeah. it yeah. no but um i see your little gopro there if we yeah. had those yeah, yeah. you would have some amazing footage yeah, yeah, exactly but I'm, i'm just glad we recorded so much of it alex dixon yeah. was recording all the time while we were doing right. stuff just to get an idea of what and then of course in the evening We'd sit around, have a couple of drinks and listen to mm. what we've been playing and then improving on that. And then when we were out on tour, on the Balls to Picasso tour, we decided one of our hobbies was going to be, we were going to learn the first two Aussie albums uh-huh. in soundcheck. So when Bruce didn't turn up to a soundcheck, we'd be playing Diary of a Madman or Believer um, or I Don't Know and all the others. And, and again, we'd then in the evening after the show, We'd be on the bus listening to Diary of a Madman again, checking out where we went wrong in rehearsal. Yeah. So the next day when we can go into soundcheck, we can get Diary of a Madman slightly tighter and slightly better. Right. And yeah, you've got that drum fill wrong. And oh, it's the offbeat thing they switched to. Yeah, we'll have to get that right. Yeah. <clears throat> so we were constantly trying to improve ourselves. Right. When you were basically doing it, I guess you were then headlining band because you had time to have a soundtrack proper soundcheck. Yeah, but to be Enough fair, time. when we were supporting Halloween, we we got soundchecks as well. Right. right. Yeah. yeah. When was the Halloween support? Well, the Halloween tour was originally set up to be part of the kind of extended Balls to Picasso tour after um what was it? After we'd done South America or something. See, the great thing is, I don't have to have a memory because I've got the <laughs> book, right? And this will show exactly what was going on. Because we got to the end of the Bulls Picasso tour and we were supposed to do some dates in Europe with Halloween. Poster of the cancelled dates. Uh-huh, okay. Because there's everything in this book. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it was supposed to happen in 95. Those dates got cancelled. And then we ended up, we made the Skunk Works album. Yeah. And then we were going to tour with Halloween for the Skunk For Works the Skunk album. Works. Yeah. All right. And there was a bit of doubt amongst some of us about is Halloween the right band to be going out touring with with the Skunk Works album, but we were in a bit of a, a we were in a bit of a stuck place because Halloween were on Sanctuary Management, same as Bruce and same as Maiden, mm. so it was nice and easy to put the package together from the booking agent point of view. Um, so that was nice and easy and possible, but then. The strange thing about Skunk Works, of course, here's Bruce, who's known for Iron Maiden, playing some relatively new style music, and yet new style bands wouldn't really want Bruce as their opening act because he's comes from the old school. Mm. And so we couldn't really go, you know, we couldn't go out with Pearl Jam or someone like that. They wouldn't be interested. They'd mm. want some up and coming band. Um, so we were stuck going out with Halloween. I say stuck going out yeah, with that, Halloween. Doesn't sound bad. It was great fun. <laughs> it was brilliant. But it might not have been the best place to try selling the Skunk Works album mm. to. Yeah. Um, nevertheless, we went out and we did it, and it was great fun. And we got on with Halloween really well. Yeah. Um, and that was another thing in the book. I'm going through like 
answering fans' questions and getting different people involved. And one of the fans came in with, um, what did you think of Halloween? It's like, yeah, great guys. They put on a great show. It was very different from what we were doing. Old school metal, but done very well. Um, and I thought, actually, the more interesting question from the perspective of this book is what did Halloween think of us? Mm-hmm. So I messaged Roland Grapoff because we're still in touch. And um, and he came back with his ideas about what he thought thought of Scott yeah. was. So that's the good thing about this book that I like. It's different people. Yeah, yeah. If it was just my autobiography, it'd be quite boring. It'd be like this interview. You know? <laughs> but the book has got everybody's angle. And, and it kind of reads like, I hope it reads like some friends just sitting around a table yeah. having a chat, you know. Yeah. Uh, oh, remember when we went there? Oh, yeah, that was funny, wasn't it? It was some fan going, so how did you do that? What, what was Halloween like? And, yeah. But the Halloween tour was great because we got to play to bigger audiences mm. than we would have done. Um, and then we filmed live video at the end of the tour. And so the Skunk Works live video is in front of an audience of 4,000 in an arena in Spain. And it looks great. But what you don't notice is that's actually a support slot. That's Halloween's yeah. audience, not <laughs> us. <laughs> we didn't have 4,000 fans ready for us in Spain. Yeah. Uh, but Halloween did. So it was great yeah. exposure and good to go out on right. And the tour lasted ages. It was like a couple of months. Um, again, I can look up the exact dates yeah, in the book. Yeah. But um, so yeah, it was it was good fun. But there was there was it was slightly odd in that some of the venues like Tavastia here in Helsinki, mm. we'd already headlined that on Balls to mm. Picasso tour, right. and then we come back kind of opening for Halloween. Mm. I say kind of because it was billed as a double headline mm. in some places, mm. and some places even had Bruce higher up on the poster than halloween okay but actually what was always going on was halloween was headlining they were playing the main set and they were playing their full show for an hour and a half and we were playing like an hour yeah so we were definitely the support band although billed in some places as double headline um yeah but again it was that was a good fun tour i i enjoyed that but then i read in bruce's book that he found it depressing oh really and and i think this is the curious thing and this is why i had several people writing mm. bits for my book it's mm. because everyone's memories are slightly different mm. and everyone's angle looking at it i mean my angle is like i quite like german beer and we had like three or four weeks touring in germany with a german band yeah. and i could practice speaking german and i could drink beer and eat schnitzel and i was having a great time bruce was probably wandering around thinking at some point like hang on, Halloween used to open for Maiden and now I'm the support band. And so his view on it would be totally different to mine, you know. And whereas I'm looking at the audience in Spain going, wow, there's 4,000 kids going crazy. Bruce is probably going, oh, there's only 4,000. Rock in Rio was 120,000. You know, so we've got different views on the whole thing, which is why I think, you know, you know, I did write this after reading Bruce's book and I must admit part of of the inspiration of doing this was reading Bruce's book and me looking at it going... No, I saw that differently. <laughs> okay, yeah, okay, yeah, that's that's true, but it's a different angle. Yeah, exactly. Let's have the other side of this, yeah, you know. Yeah. It's not so bad to tour yeah. Germany with Halloween, you yeah, know. Yeah. I think you'd probably enjoy it. Yeah, possibly. <laughs> <laughs> what could go wrong, yeah. yeah. There's a photo of us recording the, the Skunk Works album. I probably can't find it right now. And it's the drummer in the studio, Alex Elena. Okay. And um you see, there he is, doing the recording. Right. And then a friend of mine who's a sound engineer saw the photo and he went, that's a really strange way to mic up a drum kit, isn't it? And you've got a chimney right behind you. Wouldn't that cause echo? And the overheads seem really low. And um 
I was like, oh, fair point. I never thought about it too much. So I got in touch with Jack Endino, the producer, and like, come on, Jack, tell us why you mic'd up the drum kit like that. Yeah. So, you know, for, for a drummer who likes recording like yourself, yeah. to have a question like that yeah. in there. You know, Bruce's book doesn't go into mm. drum miking techniques. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, I must say, there's probably going to be some readers that will kind of maybe skip the bit about oh. drum mic technique. So but, yeah. you know, you'll be straight in there. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. So I, I'm still in, in touch a lot with the uh, with, uh, Skunk Works guys or, or Bruce these days. Yeah, um, Alex Dixon not, unfortunately. Right. Alex Dixon, guitarist. Um, the three of us were like best mates at the time in mm. the band. Um And long afterwards, me and Alex were best mates, and we did other projects together. We did Sactric together, and we played with different bands. And um I'm I'm quite an outgoing guy, and like like a laugh and a smile and stuff. And Alex is really shy. And as the years went by, he became more and more shy, and more withdrawn, and more quiet, to the point where he moved to a little place in Scotland. You laughed at my Nokia phone. Hey, he I doesn't have it. I appreciate it. <laughs> He he doesn't have a phone at all. Oh, all right. He lives next to a lake in Scotland. All right. It's probably the one that the Skunk Works album was done at. I don't know. Um, and I haven't heard from him for a couple of years. All right. And okay. it's a real shame because great friends. But if he wants to stay quiet and stay to himself, uh, that's his business, you know. Yeah. Me and Alex Elena still like brothers. We we talk uh, all the time. We get on great. And every time we catch up, we live in different countries. But every time we catch up, it's like time hasn't passed yeah, exactly. we're back yeah. together and with bruce it was i mean obviously in the band it was it was all fine and, and fun mm. but there was always an element of like he's my boss mm. and i don't want to be an ass in front of him i don't want to say something too stupid i said a lot of stupid things but i try not to be too stupid mm. in front of him um in case he fires us all or whatever because you always worry about your job you know yeah. I'm sure it's the same with any job you go out for a drink with your boss after work and you're still a little bit careful yeah. and I don't want to you know I'm not getting naked I'm not dancing on the table and, you know um, but the thing is after the band I did a I did an album with the with the other two with the two Alex's called Mystery Rabbits which was a silly album by my band Sactric I just did it for fun and then I called Bruce up and said um, just made this this fun album with Sactric with the other two guys I think you should hear it and he said oh great yeah stick it in the post and I said nah can I pop round and play it for you and he was like oh yeah if you like you know where I live so I went over to his place for the album and he we listened to it it's a funny album and we both laughed along and um, and I found that we were getting on better because now he's not my boss and I don't have this thing in the back he's yeah. just another guy and he's a singer and he's a very good singer But he's just another guy, and we we've been through some crazy experiences together. We went through the Bosnian War together, and we've been touring around America together, and we've got a lot in common actually. And and me and Bruce are both interested in history and languages and stuff, and we share share quite a lot. And so I ended up just kind of, um, yeah, probably becoming a better friend after the band than mm. I was in the band. Mm. And so since then, you know, I've been to his birthday parties. He's been to my wedding. And it does seem kind of odd that, um, you know, I go down the pub and have a chat with him. And um, So you do you still live around those areas? Like yeah, that? yeah, oh. I'm still in the area. And he's a couple of miles down the road right. from me and we can meet in a pub. Right. When I was doing this book, I went out and we went for a drink in the pub and mm. told him I was doing the book and we had a laugh about it and all yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, so it's a lot more relaxed now. And yeah. now, you know, like I went to the... 
Went to the show in Croatia and I just texted him, mate, I'm in Zagreb, any chance of guest list? And he's like, yeah, sure, should we catch up for a beer? Yeah, good idea, you know? Mm. It's all completely casual, um, which is quite funny because obviously every now and then you still think, actually, he is the lead singer of Iron Maiden. (laughs) There is this... uh, He is incredibly famous. But then again, we've known each other for years. He is a human also. This is the thing, yeah, (laughs) which I think some of the fans don't quite realise, essentially. You know, one of the things... When I was running this Facebook group, a couple of people did write in saying, like, you know, they were saying their experience of having met him for 10 minutes in an airport when he was hurrying to get another flight. And they mm. said, <clears throat> you know, he, he seemed a bit, he didn't want to talk to his fans. Um, and other people are saying, oh my, is he a god? You know, how did he write these lyrics? And I'm like, no, he's just a human being. He's a, he's a very, He's a talented human being, and he's an intelligent human being, and he's got lots of different interests, and he happens to be an incredibly good singer. But he is a human being, and if he's late for a flight, mm. he will ignore people and mm. run for the flight. Yeah, of course. And, you know, I've got a flight in a couple of hours, yeah. and if I'm late for it and someone's trying to talk to me, I will completely ignore them and run for mm. my flight. Yeah, yeah. Most people would do yeah. that, you know? And sometimes he's out for dinner with his, with a friend or his girlfriend or something. Mid-conversation, a fan comes over and wants a chat. And he's not always up for it, mm. you know. Or also sometimes, you know, I quite like being by myself sometimes. Mm. Having a bit of quiet time, you know. Sometimes I'll sit in a pub with my laptop and have a drink and mm. write some stuff on the computer. And, and if some guy comes over and goes, oh, you look lonely, can I join you, mate? It's like. Actually, no, I'm having a good time by myself. And I see that with Bruce sometimes where fans have gone, oh, he was sat by himself doing nothing, so I thought I'd go and mm. tell him about what I thought of Seventh Son. I'm like, no, please <laughs> don't do that. Just leave him alone. He wants a bit of quiet time, you know. So he's not an arsehole, but he's also not a god. You know, mm. he does have faults. He's a human being, yeah. you know. Yeah. So basically, last uh, night you had the... Our Maiden tributing, and you, you did play some. You, you went also to play mm. some some of the Bruce songs. Which songs did you play with the guys? We did. Um, we did "Laughing in the Hiding Bush" and "Tears of the Dragon" and "Inner Space" off the Scumworks album. All right. Nice. Yeah, it was. Um, it was quite funny actually. It's a really cool local band called Bone Button who do their Iron Maiden set usually. Mm. And I said to them, "Oh, could you learn?" A few songs off the Skunk Works album and they came back going, um, it's a little confusing how to learn Skunk Works songs. Like, oh, okay, yeah, sorry. Um, Yeah, let, let's play Tears of the Dragon then. That's the- <laughs> <laughs> but they were great. They were great. And um, and it was nice. I mean, it's, it's lovely to be invited over to these things yeah. and, you know, a chance to promote the book right. and hang out with fans and people and have a beer and everybody's nice and fun. Yeah. Uh, and of course, as I was telling you earlier, Dennis Stratton was there so it was a bit of a maiden fest. We've got, mm. you've got Steve Loopy Newhouse, who's one of their original crew guys, who's got his book out that says it's in Finnish now, um, which is highly recommended for fun and laughs and right. the true story of early Iron Maiden. And he was there giving a chat. And then you've got Dennis Stratton, who's the guitarist on the first Maiden album, giving a chat mm. and getting up and playing some of those early Maiden songs. <laughs> and then I was going to give a chat and play some of the Bruce songs. And, and when the the promoter guys got in touch with me and asked me about this, and they said, would you mind getting up and playing some Bruce songs? I'm like, no, that's fine. That'd be a bit of fun. And they said Dennis was getting up as well. And I was like, would it be okay if I got up with Dennis and played a couple of early Maiden songs? Because obviously in Bruce's band, we did 
occasionally in the latter years towards the end we did do some maiden songs but obviously yeah. they're all from his era and mm. i'd never played any of the diano songs mm. and i'm not the biggest maiden fan in the world and i don't have the new album and i don't mm. follow them religiously but the idea of playing like Rathschild and stuff with original Maiden guitarists, yeah. that was just too tempting. I was yeah, like, yeah, of course. yeah, I want to do that as well. Yeah. So I said, can I play Rathschild? And he came back going, Dennis says, yeah, that's fine. He's asking, uh, do you want to do Running Free as well? <laughs> okay, well, we're here. Why not? Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, and it ended up as a great fun party night. Yeah. You know, yeah. you never know how these things are going to turn. Yeah, up. of course. You know, right. you turn up in a strange place, and you're wondering have they sold any tickets, or yeah, is, yeah. It, is the <laughs> is equipment going to work? <laughs> My biggest worry was, you know, there's been a load of flight chaos across Europe mm. recently, and guitars have gone missing and my flight here got cancelled and I had to rebook and oh, okay. Finnair was super helpful and like British Airways. Um okay. but it meant I couldn't bring my bass over. And I'm really oh. quite particular about my bass. It's yeah. a Warwick thumb bass that I've had for years and I played it in the Skunk Works days and I still play it now. Right. And it's really me and it fits me and I love it. Yeah. And I couldn't bring it. Fuck. And so I'd say can you ask the bone button guys if I can borrow their bass? And then I was just thinking, I hope it's a reasonable bass. I hope it's something <laughs> playable. I hope the action isn't out here. Yeah. And I work as a backline tech in my day job. So I, I set up people's guitars on tour and I was just thinking, I can see myself. I'm going to be in the dressing room with an Allen key and a screwdriver <laughs> and I'm going to fix his intonation and his action and everything. But no, it was a really nice Fender Precision. It was nice right. and standard. He had the action nice and low. The only odd thing was he was playing those Steve Harris flatwound strings. Okay. Because Maiden, Steve Harris plays flatwound, and I'm not used to them. So it was a little bit unfamiliar, mm. but I got through, and it was yeah. all good fun. And, oh, yeah. and the guys in Bone Button were great fun, too. And yeah. it was, uh, yeah, a lovely evening out, you know. Yeah. And that's what I'm finding after all these years. It's like, you know, back in the day with... with with Skunk Works and that, we did hang out with the fans after shows and stuff. And um, and maybe like the way I've become more familiar with Bruce after all these years, become more familiar with fans and end up like best mates with the fans and hanging out because they're, they're all harmless enough. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah and it's, it's all kind of like, a, you know, kind of family in a way. It's, it's like, it the, absolutely it's like is. lifestyle and the scene and all our basically fans of music so yeah and once you see these guys at one or two gigs and then you see them at a third one then you're best mates for life and yeah. uh and talking of maiden family then when i went out to so i went out to croatia for a similar event just as the tour was starting and paul diano was there because he's getting medical treatment in croatia mm. at the moment and i've known paul for years in london you know <clears throat> um it's kind of like a drinking buddy mm. and so it was great to see him there and then they wanted um, we were going to judge a battle of the bands of local bands playing and they wanted me and Paul Diano and Linda Harris, Steve's sister, right. to judge the battle of the bands. So we did that and we got chatting. I'd never met Linda before. And me and Linda getting on absolutely great. And then, you you know, you're saying maiden family. It really is maiden family when you're hanging out yeah. with Steve Harris's sister. <laughs> this is... yeah. And then it turned out I was chatting to her and her daughter's husband is a teacher at my kid's school. All right, yeah. And then you really are into, and then a few years ago, I did a charity gig at a school and Thomas Gers, Yannick's nephew, was oh, playing in this school band and I got my kid to get up and play. And so there's the son of the Skunk Works bass player 
playing with the nephew of Iron Maiden's guitarist. Yeah. <laughs> and that's that's Maiden family tree, isn't yeah, it? <laughs> yeah. That's right. So this is basically now your this is now your what third, fourth time in Finland. So for Finland we would have done um Tavastia on the Bulls Picasso tour. Mm. And then on the Skunkworks tour opening for Halloween there. Right. And then yet yeah, 2002, we did more gigs with Bruce for the yeah. best of, and so we played Tusker Festival. But I've also, I'm a backline tech. I've been here on tour with loads of other bands yeah. since. Been here with um, Mr. Big. I think, I think twice with Mr. Big. We did Tavastia with Mr. Big, but we did another venue in Helsinki right. as well with Mr. Big. Returned, you returned to Tavastia. Yeah, yeah. yes, to see it again. Yeah, it's, <laughs> a great, it's a great venue. In, in my opinion, it's the best finish venue. It really is a great yeah. venue. The way it's laid out, yeah. the, the fact that you can see from everywhere, yeah. the balcony is brilliant. It's great to play and also great to watch the gigs. Like yeah. the sounds are great. It's it's like not too big, not too small. It's just perfect, you know, for an intimate, great show. Yeah. And then I think the last time I was here would have been Jurassic Festival. Where I was working for therapy then. Yeah. Um. So yeah, my my job is like you know I play bass in bands sometimes and sometimes mm. I'm a bass tech. Yeah. So, but looking after Billy Sheehan's basses for Mr. Big is that's a pretty good job anyway, yeah. you know. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. But you haven't been to sauna in Finland. No. But did you have saunas in in England, or are they different to Finnish saunas? Um, I've had sauna mostly in Germany. All right, but they have this. I've been also in Germany. So German sauna. They have this like a, like hourglasses you need to put on. At least that that sauna which I visited. Oh, okay. Like, but you cannot stay there longer than the hour, hourglass time. You need to go out, according to German oh. logistic or like a log- logic. Maybe we just <laughs> didn't know that. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it's good that you didn't know. Yeah, that. I remember me and Alex Elena and Andy Derris were having a sauna together once. Right. And in I did, in Germ- Germany. Yeah. Yeah. And I did find it slightly surreal that we're naked with the singer from Halloween. Okay. <laughs> 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 That's the fun of a sauna, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sauna's great. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Especially the Finnish sauna. Not like uh, some. When I was visiting Pittsburgh, for example, we took uh, like uh, for a reason. We took a hotel which had a sauna. Yeah. But then we went there. It was very small, like uh, this, like a pathetic grill where you could little bit put water, like just like uh, nothing of sauna. Mm. But that was our like a criteria for picking the hotel. Well, B- big disappointment. <laughs> Finland. I mean, you are the kings yeah, of sauna. Yeah, of course. Of course. You know, Alex Elena used to do the same thing. Right. He'd. He's from Italy. He's from Rome. Yeah. You know, his parents, his grandparents cooked. It's food culture, Italy. You know, he cooks himself, and then he'd go to an Italian restaurant in England and, and be absolutely disgusted with the food. Yeah. Well, yeah. what do you expect? You're from Italy. You know, yeah. you're from Finland. Yeah. You go to a, a sauna in Pittsburgh. <laughs> you, you're not going to find a better yeah. one than, than in Finland. Are Guess you? not. Yeah. <laughs> That was traumatic experience. <laughs> so, what about now? More recently, it's like you said, you are you are you're working. Like, is it is it your main job working on with the, with the bands as a technician? Yeah, I, I actually I work with. I don't know what I did wrong in a former life, but um, I I work for '80s pop bands mainly, uh-huh. which is kind of ironic because in the '80s. On top of the pops and TV shows in UK, you'd always have Spandau Ballet and ABC and Go West and people like that. But I'd be into Iron Maiden and Motorhead mm. and Aussie and Kiss. And now I work for Spandau Ballet and ABC <laughs> and Go West and Nick Kershaw and Midyear and Banana Rama. Right. Um, but you know what? 
I, I, actually, I've, I've come to have a new appreciation of 80s pop music. For the most part, they were incredible songwriters. Yeah, There's great sure. melodies going on. Mm. There's some really odd chord changes going on in some of those songs, which mm. I didn't appreciate when I was a kid. Right. I would just yeah. like I wouldn't listen to it. It was like, oh no, that's that. Yeah. And and also, I must say, all the guys, and maybe it's because they've grown up now. You know, there's none of them. No one's being an asshole. Everyone's nice and relaxed, mm. super chilled gigs, which suits me. I, I don't need to be picking up drunk drummers, the you know mm. teenage drummers. I, I can't be dealing with that anymore. Now let's have adults who play the gig properly and their equipment works, yeah. and, and that's a pleasure to work with. Yeah. And then the funny thing is, um, the fun irony, I, the bass player in ABC is a guy called Andy Carr, who was the bass player on the Tattooed Millionaire album for Bruce. Ah, oh, right. So yeah. now I'm his technician. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I tune his bass for him and set it up on stage, uh, and then I play Tattooed Millionaire quickly on it. <laughs> <laughs> If you notice it. And it's great, because me and him get on great, because we've yeah. got this funny bond with the whole Bruce background. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I interviewed him as well for the book, because, yeah. I, again, I wanted everyone's input on, yeah. on here, yeah. and, you know. You see that name Andy Carr on the Tattooed Millionaire album, mm. but nobody actually knows too much about mm. Andy Carr or what he was doing or yeah. how he joined the band. Right. And it's all in the book. All right, it's there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm looking very much forward to checking the book. I think you're going to enjoy it. I think uh, you're I, probably I not so. going to get much sleep tonight. Yeah, maybe so. Yeah. <laughs> it's a big book. <laughs> yeah, it seems to be a lot of info info packaged. Absolutely, yeah. Set up, yeah. Like after Skunk Works finished in '96. Bruce went on, did Accident at Birth, Chemical right. Wedding, with Roy Z in mm. L.A. But like I say, me and him were still in touch, meeting up every now and then. And he was actually coming to see my band, Sactric. He, he'd come down. He brought Yannick down one time as well. But he came to see Sactric one time, and he said to me, oh, and I wasn't expecting this. I'd actually just done an interview with a, with a magazine, and they'd asked me, what do you think's the chances of... Um, Bruce reforming the Skunk Works band. And this was in 2001, 2002. And I said, I think the chances are probably zero <laughs> because he's in Iron Maiden now. Brave New World has gone massive. They're playing the biggest venues ever. What's the chances of him reforming his least successful band ever? That's <laughs> <laughs> not going to happen, is it? A couple of weeks later, Bruce comes to a Satric gig and goes, Chris, I need to put a band together. <laughs> <laughs> really? Are you serious? He's like, yeah. So his best of album came out and he got asked to do some European festivals. Yeah. And um so obviously the first thing we thought is get Alex Dixon in to play guitar. Mm. Um Alex Elena had moved to America at that point, so he wasn't going to be doing it. Um but Bruce had just watched the Sactric gig and he said to me, Your drummer in Sactric seems pretty good. And he is, great drummer, Robin Guy. So Bruce said, Ask him if he wants to do it. I was like, okay. And Robin's just packing his drum kit down on stage. And I went up to him while he's packing his kit down. I said, um, do you want to play a bunch of festivals in Europe with, with Bruce? And his drum's just like, oh, piss off. Do you just stop pissing around? <laughs> no, serious. Bruce is over there and he's asking, he's just watched you play and he wants you to play this, these festivals. And Robin's like, oh, what, you serious? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then we, we decided as well, the great thing about that 2002 thing, was that the best of album was out, but we weren't trying to promote a new album or a mm. new angle like Skunk Works was, where we really had to push this idea of here's a new band you need to listen to. This was literally just like, and I said to Bruce, are we just 
playing heavy metal for the kids. Mm. And he went, yes, that's exactly what we're doing. So, okay, good. So none of this alternative vibe. I can put my foot on the monitors and headbang away. And he's like, yeah, of course you can. Yeah, great. And then we chatted about set list and we thought, yeah, we want something from each of the solo albums because it's best of solo album. So, and of course I'd played Tattooed Millionaire before and Tears of the Dragon and stuff, but I'd never done anything off Accident of Birth mm. or Chemical Wedding. So we went and learned those songs as well. And then, of course, it became apparent that we needed another guitarist because this was going to be a metal show. Yeah. And we'd been doing, funnily enough, <laughs> me and Alex Dixon and I think Robin Guy as well, we'd been doing Kiss covers with Pete Friesen from The Almighty and Alice Cooper's band. And he was living in London. He happens to be a Kiss fan. So he was playing Kiss covers with us. And we were like, he'd be pretty good. So we called him up, got him involved. Uh, so then it was like a mate's band again. It's all, yeah. all just good fun. And we've just got to play this heavy metal set, do some Maiden songs, stick Delilah at the end for a bit of fun. And that was just total blast. And, yeah. it, and it was one gig per weekend over the summer. Mm. So, yeah. you know, you could get as drunk as you wanted right. and you come home with your hangover and you got five days to get over yeah. it and then they'd fly <laughs> out again. And we did like Sweden Rock Festival, Tuska, Vakken. And the crazy thing was, of course, like, I was saying back in the Skunk Works days, playing with Bruce, we're supporting Halloween mm. or we're playing a club. Mm. And this, we're headlining Sweden Rock Festival. Mm. Yeah. And the band on before us was a, a small British group, I don't know if you know, a band called Motorhead. Mm. And they're on before us. Right. And I remember me and Robin, the drummer, on the side of stage watching Motorhead, you know, Lemmy and Mickey D and that, like... Okay, so you're the next drummer going on, and I'm the next bass player going on. We're, we're going to follow Lemmy and Mickey D. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's going to work, is it? You know, and then the same fucking headline the Saturday night, right? And we did an amazing gig in Greece, and we just did a few of those over the summer, and it was just yeah. hilarious fun, you know. Right. And actually, I think those were the last, the last solo shows that Bruce properly did. I guess, I guess so. Yeah, because then he did Tyranny of Souls, and there was no tour for it. All right. We did some shows in Brazil in 2005, me and Roy Z, oh, okay. with Bruce. But that was that was a different thing. That was a guy called Renato Tribuzzi had an album and he had me and Roy and Bruce guesting on it. Okay. And then we went over and did some shows in Brazil for his album. And in the encores, we did Tears of the Dragon and a couple of things. But but yeah, 2002 and Tusca Festival was the last ever Bruce Dickinson solo shows. Right. Yeah. I guess there's now the new Bruce album in works, isn't there? At least what I've been a little bit hearing. There is, apparently, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I think what's been going on is that Roy and Bruce have just been writing yeah. casually for years now. Okay. I don't think they ever stopped writing, mm. you know, since they first met, maybe. You know, might have a year off here and there, but mm. constantly sending little ideas backwards yeah. and forwards. And so I would imagine they've got more than an album's worth finished. Yeah, I think there was some news that they at least met and doing at least something in the studio. Roy stuff. put up on Facebook that yeah. they'd been in the studio and had a drummer there. and So I think that is actually... They've probably been recording demos yeah. for the last 10 or 20 years, and this yeah. is actually making the album now. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm not, you know, the prophet. I can't see into the future, and I'm not involved in the recording of mm. it. But yeah, I would imagine there's a Bruce solo album to come yeah, in the yeah. next year or yeah. so. 
and possibly with the tribe of gypsies at least somewhat. Well, of course, if Roy Z is there at, at least. But no, I don't think so. Ah, uh-huh, okay. Um, it's a different drummer. I can't remember his name. Damn, I would have liked to hear David mm. Ingram again. Drums. No, I don't think so. Um, David's doing mostly photography these days. Yeah, from, I saw from that. What I see, yeah. yeah. And they're using a um, a keyboard player from Croatia, I think. Okay. There's something about Croatian keyboard players because there's a Croatian keyboard player in White Snake at the moment, and there's right. another one playing for Bruce. Uh-huh. Something about Croatia, something something in their okay. Kalaraškog beer that just makes you be a great keyboard player. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we'll see. It would be interesting to hear, of course. Maybe Absolutely, yeah. That would be curious to see what happens. We will see soon. Let's hope so. But hey, thanks for like dropping by with such a quick notice. And ah, you're very welcome. It's been that good. was a really good chat. Good, good chat, man. And hope people want to buy the silly inside the skunk. Yes, I, I bet they will. I will put for sure links to the description. Yeah, do that. I will be diving into that thing very soon. <laughs> right, so thanks a lot for for the chat. You're very welcome. Righty. <laughs>